Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of MA Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. If the title didn't give it away, we are talking about how to have a happy holiday season, which in 2020 feels harder than ever before. Before giving it away, today's guest's professional profile says, I hate to spoil the ending, but everything is going to be okay. Good things are in store for our listeners this episode, and it will leave you with more hope and hopefully happiness. A study from Boston University found in the wake of COVID, depression rates have tripled, with nearly 30% of the U.S. population reporting depression symptoms in comparison to 8.5% pre-pandemic. But the mind is a powerful tool, and if you learn the skills to shift mindsets and understand coping mechanisms, you can get it to work with you instead of against you. Happiness in 2020 is possible, and we're here to prove it with the help of a very special guest. I could not be more honored to welcome on today's guest, Kate Pedro, one of Columbus's top mental health counselors and a coveted resource at MA. Kate's an LPCC, a licensed professional clinical counselor with a master's in clinical mental health counseling. After years of working in community mental health settings, including juvenile sex offender day treatment and court, she is now working in private practice at Blue Boat Counseling in Worthington, Ohio. Kate's areas of expertise include anxiety and depression, among many other, with primary therapeutic techniques involving cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and solution-focused therapy. Today, in the spirit of the holiday season, Kate is going to share her gift with us all and hopefully help us feel happier in the present. Puns aside, Kate, welcome on. We could not be more energized to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm obviously jazzed about any opportunity to talk about mental health. And obviously with the stats that Mark just shared, it's staggering right now. So obviously super important for us to dive into today. We agree. And welcome on. You're such an incredible resource to our firm. You've helped us in our work with the respite rooms and understanding the central nervous system and the autonomic response to you've also helped us influence incorporating design decisions that support mental well-being. So give us a little bit of an introduction. Can you tell us a bit about your techniques with CBT and solution-based therapy so our listeners better understand just what it is that you do and the science behind it? Sure. So CBT obviously stands for cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which in a nutshell comes down to the way that we think affects the way that we feel, which then affects the way that we behave. So a lot of times people try to jump in at the behavior part and we jump into the feeling part where I just need to stop feeling this way, or I just need to stop acting this way. Um, what really, what we got to do is get to the core at what's your perspective on the situation that's influencing the way that you feel and therefore the way that you behave. Um, so there, there's a million different frameworks that a lot of therapists can work with. Um, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive in my approach, um, as you saw from my bio that I've, I've worked with populations that need a little bit more gumption, maybe um, would be the right word. Uh, so, so whenever I see uh, anybody just stuck in a cycle, I want to target what the issue is so we can really nail down, okay, what are, what are some action items that we can take here to change the, dire- the trajectory of, of how you're experiencing your life? Um, so that's where more of the solution-focused element comes in, um, where we can I, I'm obviously valuing about talking about your feelings and I want to hear about what your experience is, is. Um, but the, I think where a lot of people get caught up in is I need to sit in my emotions. And if we sit in it too long, then there's no movement with it. And so 
sometimes we get this idea of self-care is I need to sit in this sadness and I need to stay in my house and I need to stay in my bed. Um, but if there is no movement with that, then we get stuck in this well and it's, it gets deeper and deeper every single day and it's harder to get out. So I'm, I'm more of the mentality of we need to acknowledge how you feel. We need to acknowledge your experience, but then we need to figure out what to do with what we have and figure out where to put it. I love that. I think Ken Yeager, Dr. Ken Yeager from Ohio State is another really wonderful resource that works with us like you, Kate, in the space of mental health and how we can design spaces for mental well-being. And his two key advice points were sleep and movement are the key to moving forward. So everything that you're saying, just no matter what, keep moving. And even if that's breath by breath or, you know, taking it one day at a time, I think that is such a great piece of advice for everyone to hear, especially when right now all that sounds good is holding up in your house and, you know, feeling sorry for yourself. So it's a really, really good lesson and a really good conversation I think we're going to have today. I agree. I uh, I know I'm personally nesting just a little bit, so I'm excited to get some tips today to try to make the holidays a little bit happier and brighter. I agree. I feel like at the end, we're going to be so ready to like actually put lights up outside our houses or have our husbands do it. Um, so now that we've learned a little bit more about you professionally, Kate, we'd like to let our listeners in on you personally. You up for it? Sure. Let's do it. If you had a spontaneous day off, what is the first thing you would do? Oh, boy. Okay. So I... I'm a mother of three children. My kids are three, five, and seven. Um, and I love them dearly, but I would probably go somewhere by myself. Um, <laughs> and uh, obviously, now is this COVID environment or is this like back to reality normal? We're here to provide hope and happiness. This is reality in the new, better normal. <laughs> so one of my coping skills is thinking about what is going to come because we will come out on the other side of this. And so I will think about oh, the, the day that all of my children are in school and I'm going to be able to go into work and see, I know I love work. So I, I have to get out of that. If, it, if I had a day to myself, didn't have to go to work. Um, <laughs> I would, I would probably go, this is not so boring. This is showing my age here. I'm going to go for a nice little walk. Um, <laughs> And then maybe I'll like get a, like it would probably be very pampering related to where I don't have to think and I can just turn my brain off and, um, and be pampered that, which that sounds so basic, but that's unfortunate. No, it's like a, a day for your central nervous system. Yeah. Then it sounds very chic and walks <laughs> are very on trend for 2020. So I don't think you have anything to be embarrassed about. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, there's the whole Norwegian concept of, um, I think it's, uh, free, free leaf. I always mispronounce it. Say it's, that three times fast. Right. <laughs> Where it's basically just embracing getting outside. And, you know, no matter the weather, no matter if it's cold, you just get outside because of how powerful and how important it is to connect with nature. So I, I'm a runner, so I'm right up there with you, just going outside and just getting away from the house. I promise you, I was just about to reference that. One of my a book that I'm reading right now is called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. I don't know if that's where you heard that. or I mean, it's just the Scandinavian concept, just like you said, of getting outside and um, no, no matter what the weather, which has been super inspiring for me and my kids, because it's like, oh, I don't want to have to layer you up a million times. But now it's like, oh, it's 22 degrees. Layer up. Here we go. Mm -hmm. We're, we're going to be out there for three hours. So get used I to it. I love that. Shifting mindsets, even in weather. I think that's awesome. Well, you kind of already touched on this, but we're going to ask anyway. What is your go-to coping method or mechanism when you're feeling overwhelmed and anxious? Um, yep. So basically get outside, um, or I separate myself from, from whatever the stimulus is that's going on, you know, so that's kind of the concept of the respite room that we've talked about 
several, maybe a year ago now, um, of just needing to shut down for a moment and let yourself collect with your, you know, your central nervous system and let everything shut down because the way that uh, CBT has this little, this little hiccup in it though, that you can try to shift your mind and your, and your reframe the situation. But if your nervous system is still on spike, then you're, it's only going to be reading what your body is saying. So I think sometimes also that we get caught up in, okay, I just need to think positive. I just need to think positive. But if your body is reading differently, your brain's not going to catch on to what's going on. Um, so whatever it is that you need to do to calm that nervous system, to get your brain in a position to be able to accept a reframe, um, then that's what it is. So a lot of times I will just lay flat on the floor and I will put on a meditation, put my palms in the air, dim the lights, do my deep belly breathing, diaphragmic breathing, you know, where you're pushing your belly out, chest stays calm. Um, and just do several, several cycles until I feel the change happening. Um, and on, I promise you, and that, that once you know that you have done your breathing correctly, you will feel almost a high going through your body. You will feel the tingle in your hands of that oxygen pumping in. Um, so that's, that's when I don't have children running around. If I have children running around, then, <laughs> then I we say everybody outside. Um, and that's usually a reflection of, you know, if there's any parents listening that if when you see your kids starting to lose it, they're, they're being a reflection of your state at the moment. So that means that, uh, yeah, if you, if you, if your kids are losing it, throw a coat on, go outside, let them run around. I promise you that the oxygen, the exercise, the movement, the cold stimulation will change the mental state of, of everybody. I love that. I think it's so interesting too. You and I talked about this off air, but I just learned myself that I've not been breathing correctly for nearly 30 years of my life. And it's crazy to think, but I, I never understood this idea where you really blow your belly out and to your point, keep your diaphragm really, really still. And it's a huge anti-anxiety breath movement. And it really is very grounding. So if I sometimes my anxiety feels like very airy and I just need to like run out of a room. It feels like very panicky. And if you breathe through your belly and keep your chest really still, all of a sudden you feel that calmness just to your point, take over your whole body. So how wild to think that the bulk majority of us aren't breathing properly. Such an easy thing. I love it. This is great already. All right. Last question. What is the change you most hope to see from the growth in 2020? Oh, I'm, I'm stoked about it. And I, I always joke that I'm almost toxic positive at times, which I need to keep in check. But, um, you know, th this is a, a revolution. I feel like, like I can feel it in my family, the shift that has happened culturally about where we are spending our time and what we're valuing and the intentional communication that I'm having with my extended family too, to where, you know, we're, we're not popping up or seeing each other at random events. So it's, Oh, I haven't talked to my sister in a while. I need to like call her and, and, and like I said, be intentional. So I think that this is a change that only something massive like this could have influenced. Um, you know, I think that everybody went through the initial two week quarantine of I'm going to bake bread and I'm going to be super organic about everything. It's great. Um, but I don't know how, what the longevity of that was going to be. You know, we needed to be challenged of having an entire year of this to see, okay, what's going to be a sustainable change for everybody. Um, so like I said, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think as far as schools go to, I would love for my kids to be off the computer. Um, but the virtual learn or the hybrid concept, I'm hoping they intertwine some things there or more outdoor learning, which a lot of schools have gone to. 
um, and and just more of those Scandinavian concepts of how do we how do we move our entire culture outside? Because I think that we've adopted too much of the mentality of there's there's scary elements, so we need to stay where we are. And um, so I, and obviously that's a concern. Then pandemic related, I think there's going to be a lot of anxiety adjustment that people need to make socially. Um, you know, and I've, I've seen it working with clients to where everybody jokes that they've lost social skills. And it's true. If you don't, if, if you don't use them, then you lose them in a sense. So I think we need to have this reintroduction and practice of engaging with everyone, but hopefully that will be a beautiful mix with where everybody's at individually. And then how we learn how to interact together outside of that. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, I've been saying for a while now, we all need to like, look up right? You know, we've forgotten the fact that we need to be inspired, that we need to remember that to look up at the stars and look up at the sky and just, you know, remember, like, it's okay to feel small at times. It's okay to feel like you're a part of the system and of the world. But to do that, you need to stop looking at your devices. You need to, like, get outside. So I'm, I agree with you. I'm excited for that for 2020 and 2021, too. And I love, to just the idea of looking up. It feels very positive and very uplifting. So this is wonderful. And I think that we need to start off this conversation when we really get into the meat of all the questions by telling our listeners this. The fact that they tuned in and took the time to listen to something made for mental health, it proves to me that these people are being proactive and doing far better than they're probably giving themselves credit for. If you're listening, I really want you to just take a moment and count your blessings and know that you are truly resilient, you are unstoppable and dynamic, and you have gotten through every single bad day so far. There is nothing you cannot get through. So knowing that, knowing how strong you are, how resilient you've already proven to be, by making it to this point in 2020 where you are listening to this podcast and actively choosing to hear about how to improve your mental health and well-being, you're an amazing human. So let's get started deep diving because I'm dying to hear what you have to share, Kate. Yeah, I think uh, we want to start off on this idea of nostalgia. You know, for a while now, we've been talking about nostalgia because it's actually been talked about how it can be helpful for people. Um, We talk about it in the retail world a lot where people are trying to find memorabilia or go back and find the artifacts of their past to bring them joy. But I recently heard about a term called nostalgia narcotic. And this is the idea where idealizing the past and losing appreciation for the present is an addictive and unhealthy thought process. So this holiday season, I could foresee a lot of people looking back on past holidays longingly and finding themselves in a depression spiral. So Kate, what recommendations would you make to those people who are dreaming of holidays past and finding that thinking about those treasured memories are making this holiday season seem even harder for them? So again, a very crass phrase that I heard once is that if you have one foot in the past and one foot in the future, then you are peeing essentially on the present. So the, I think it's <laughs> Um, but I think that it, it, it's, it puts it in a stark contrast that makes you feel like what you have now is less than because of what, how much you value things in the past. And so, um, I, I think that's a super important concept to make because there, there can, there has to be a balance between looking towards the future and being excited about what is to come, but also recognizing that what you have now can also be very valuable. It's just going to look different. Um, and so this is where it comes to those reframing techniques of first again you know back to back to the basics of we've got to calm your body to get your brain in a position to accept the reframe um but acknowledging what can be super great even though it's going to look really different so i know that every everybody's situation is different um but 
you know, looking back on Thanksgiving to where it was just me and my husband and my five kids and he's one of six and I'm one of four. And so families, you know, a, a typical holiday is normal to have 75 people. And so obviously that was not able to happen this year. Um, but it was so cool to see of like, you know, we're going to be intentional about, we're going to make a call to my brother and my seven-year-old is going to do word scrambles with him. And we're going to have specific events that we're going to create where I don't know if that would have been an opportunity in a setting to where there's 75 people, because, you know, she'd be running around with cousins and we, you know, the, the typical rules would happen of the adults would congregate together, kids go together. Um, so I think choosing that reframe of what looks different and what is valuable about now that might not have been an option before. And as you know, for, for those, you know, younger, younger adults who maybe aren't able to go home and it's just you and your friends or it's you and whatever little cohort that you've developed, figuring out what, how to seize that opportunity when next year, you know, you might be pulled into five different directions for family events. And so trying to reframe of what looks different and what is valuable about it, even though it's not what you, it, it can still be great, even though it's different. I feel like I'm reiterating the same concept over and over, but um, it's good to hear multiple times. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting. And I think Mark and I were talking about it with especially Thanksgiving having passed down just recently, not having to travel has taken a lot of pressure and stress off of people. And even though they're seeing it as that they're missing the chance to your point to be in that group of 40 people or 75 people or however many, you know, maybe there is a greater plan and there is the fact that everything happens for a reason and maybe people couldn't handle the typical level of stress that comes with the holiday season on top of the stress of 2020. So it's almost this leap year, if you will, where, you know, Mark and his husband have some of the most amazing traditions where they make Mexican on Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Mexican Thanksgiving. Yeah. And it's just awesome. So maybe, you know, if you're at home and there's only two people in your quarantine bubble, you order from your favorite local restaurant and maybe order three extra meals, you know, and just really whatever feels good to you, but kind of almost take it as like a free moment because things will be back. You know, our families will be back. And as long as everyone's staying healthy and working to be happy, that's the gift this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's, uh, it's challenging people's concept of boundaries because th that's also a theme that I've seen where a lot of people are, are actually enjoying this because they don't feel that pressure of being them being put into situations that felt uncomfortable in the past. Um, so when we talk about that kind of big cultural shift, um, this might be scary for some people on the receiving end, but I think people are feeling empowered of, wow, this actually felt really good. And I actually enjoyed my holidays because I listened to what I needed and, and, and let that be an influence that, you know, maybe next year, that that's what came of 2020 is that it helped spark that I need to value myself and what I need right now. And I can continue doing that into 2021 and 2022, you know, and, and it's a lifelong change. Yeah. So the Mexican Thanksgiving came from like every third year, my husband and I don't travel for the holidays. We invite our family to come to us um, because that way we don't have the stress of, of going for the holiday travel. And so we get to make our own new traditions on that year. And it, it's very reminiscent to me of what we tell people in the workplace to do. Like we tell them to take a break. We tell them to step outside of their daily routine in order to have those mindful moments. And that's really what our third year is supposed to be. So we're just treating this as our third year where we're just having a break, you know, and that break looks like us staying home by ourselves. We decided to do a food exchange instead this year where we like dropped off food for the people that we would normally see in our third year. And we were still able to connect in that fashion. That's awesome. Leave it to Mark as the futurist to already be ahead of this 
You know, he's like, I already know how to do it. We've been doing it for years. <laughs> Between the two of you, I need no other resources in my life. This is wonderful. Uh, Kate, curious about this word trigger. I keep hearing it more and more. I want to unpack the concept. So can you explain to our listeners what the concept of triggers is and what healthy coping mechanisms are when someone is triggered? Um, I'm just curious how to identify them and how to deal with them. Yeah. So sometimes they'll be really apparent. Um, so a trigger is just any activating event that can create a strong emotion in response to it. So you can have an anger trigger, a sadness trigger, an anxiety trigger, whatever emotion may be at the core of that. Any event um, can stimulate that emotion in you. So sometimes it's super apparent, you know, where someone says something really insulting and that kind of sets you off or you start to feel differently about the person or situation. Um, sometimes a trigger can be not so apparent and it, it, you might be sitting in this negative emotion and not really understand where it's coming from. Um, and so that, that's where the value of sitting in that emotion comes from is to really navigate where in the world did this come from and how do I figure out how to, 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 to cope with it. Um, so coping, I always say is, is it's an A to B step on an A to C journey. So it, it will only get you so far. Like coping will help you adjust to it. Um, but in the end, I want us to get back to not just dealing with the feeling that we're having, but figuring out a solution to get rid of the source of it so that we don't have to cope with this negative feeling. You know, sometimes you may be triggered just by not, not being engaged with others. And I don't know if I would necessarily put that in the, in the trigger category. Um, but in terms of long-term coping, in the sense of not really understanding where your emotions are coming from, I always say you need to do an inventory on all of your needs and kind of basically just do like a comb through everything to weed out what is working for you and what isn't. Um, so there's a, a great Instagram account that I follow called mombrain.therapist, and she has amazing infographics. Um, but what has been really interesting to see is that everyone that I, that I'm talking to is experiencing what a postpartum mother goes through where you have the isolation and lack of stimulation and lack of social connection, and, um, feeling like you've got a lack of resources or that you're glued to the home. Um, and so anytime I'm working with postpartum mom and now everyone on the planet, um, we're looking at what are your opportunities to reach hard? What is your mental stimulation look like? What is your sense of accomplishment look like? opportunities for quiet or downtime, food and water for your body, opportunities for social connection, physical and mental rest, opportunities for movement, opportunities for creativity, feeling seen and appreciated, and intimacy and feeling known. So obviously that is a big old net that we throw out there. Um, but I want anyone who is starting to question, I just feel down and I don't know why, of let's run through your life then and see what's working and what's missing. And then when we figure out what those things are that are missing, then we go into solution mode of, okay, what are, that's where the coping comes in of, you know, if we're missing opportunities for movement, what, what things are we not exploring? What at home options work for you or to Mark's point, what, what do we need to suit up and, and start running? You know, let's start running in the middle of January. Why not? Pass. Uh, <laughs> I'll be there. I'll let you know how to do it. I mean, I can't necessarily say that's my thing, but I love that that's working for you. And so we would just all figure out what, what it is that is, that works for you. Um, so, and, and I think this is where a lot of people get stuck because it takes a lot of creativity to figure out, okay, how do we do all of these things in this environment then? 
Um, <clears throat> and so I think a lot of people discredit, you know, how, how is me talking to somebody over FaceTime or, you know, a random group that's meeting virtually, how is that going to do anything for me? And I promise you that just the opportunity to use a different part of your brain and connect with different people than you are normally used to every single day is going to meet a need for you when there's no other options in the current climate. Yeah, so at MA, um, we're working on implementing this idea of anti-fragility, where instead of um, just reacting to uh, an issue that arises, um, we are actually prepared for it so we can just pivot and continue to thrive. So it's the idea that, again, instead of just uh, reacting, we're thriving. So I think that's, it sounds like something that you're kind of like talking about making one small change. So that way you're a little bit better prepared. You understand where the, the attack or the threat is coming from, the trigger is coming from, and just making one small change to be able to embrace it and then to thrive off of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm all about being proactive to where in, in October, I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be a long six months. And so my kids and I, we made lists of seven different things that we were going to do each month that were tailored to January and February, just because we needed that sense of accomplishment and we needed the stimulation. And in a moment, you know, we waited until we had that, the energy stores left to create that plan. So when we're sitting in the middle of February, it's a, what are we going to do now? We're going to make dog biscuits for national dog biscuit day. On February. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, if you guys have been to Michael's lately, the shelves are empty. The craft store. I love it. Yeah, it is. And it's awesome because I think, you know, banana bread might not be as cool and sourdough might be a thing of the past. But I do think people are looking and at least trying to be proactive about finding ways to create. And Mark has said multiple times that COVID is the creative renaissance. We're already starting to see a lot of early indicators of things that people have been creating in this time. And it's almost like an artist where you have to have these experiences happen to you so you can have something to create from that. So I'm excited. I think 2021, I know a lot of people thought 2020 was their year to shine, but 2021, it's the year, you guys. <laughs> well, and I love the idea of lists too, because I love checking off a box, but it also creates hope. And I think that's, yeah. you know, something that's really important. And, you know, creativity is so great for us. And I think what's really interesting is that we're seeing technology bridge the human emotional connection gap that we never thought was possible before. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out in 2021. I agree. I love that. I also, per Kate's recommendation, started doing the five-minute journal. And it's five minutes that you do. It's a journal you buy. Literally, I got it on Amazon. I'd rather have gotten it from a local bookstore. But... Uh, you do five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night. And in the morning, you do it the first thing you do when you wake up. I was in this habit where the first thing I was doing was checking my phone. And I was either reading emails or checking Instagram. And it kind of gets a weird energy going in your body. And then very similarly doing the same thing at night where I'm like scrolling through Instagram until my eyes are like too heavy. So instead, now I've been waking up and doing this journal in the morning and at night. In the morning, you have to write three things you're grateful for. And some days it's as simple as the people at Starbucks being the kindest people in the world, you know, or then it's more grandiose things on some days. And then you have to write three things that would make today great. So, you know, it's finally delivering my Amazon return or whatever, you know, like the things, it could be small or it could be big, you know, or getting to have a big date night with my husband, you know, and then your mantra for the day. So that's how you set up your day. And then at night you have to write three things that made today great and what could have made today even better. And I have noticed in less than a month the most 
insane shift in my life and my mentality. I feel like I'm living so much more intentionally and I feel like I'm living with so much more purpose and now I'm making healthier choices for me during the day. Sometimes I say, you know, what would make today great? Choosing really nourishing meals. And so then at the end of the day, I've noticed, wow, I intentionally all day chose foods that were more nourishing, which of course, you know, I'm me, I love food as medicine, you know, but, uh, and then it makes you feel better. And I'm noticing this spiral and just to Kate's point with intentionality and Mark, your point with people really hunkering down and, and focusing, it's so cool to see, you know, what can happen if you just give yourself five minutes a day to think about the choices that you're making in this time of waiting. And it's, it's just been really a revolutionary thing for me. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's where a lot of people are getting overwhelmed by this, um, you know, that the state of the world is so negative and that it's so easy to be inundated by media and all of the terrible things that are going on in the world. But, you know, when you start to accumulate this list of there are good people in the world that are doing good things, then your worldview starts to shift. And I think that's where a lot of anxiety is coming from a lot of folks is because it feels overwhelming that there are so many big things in the world and I can't change them or I don't have control over them. Um, but we've, we've got to shift that perspective that there are still a lot of great things that are happening and there's a lot of good people in the world and that it is something worth continuing to live for and experience. And, and sometimes we just need to write it down in order to see it right in front of us for it to, to really click. Choiceful positivity. I love it, you guys. <laughs> so, okay, let's, let's backtrack just a little bit. Um, we talked about triggers. Um, we talked about like how, you know, certain things are good for the body, but we know that our bodies are, are really a machine and it's like uh, a car engine. You always have to service it when you see like a warning sign come up. Yes, those, <laughs> those lights on the dashboard are really important to pay attention to. Um, or typically your car will break down. True. They, there are always warning signs before the car breaks down, whether or not I will honestly admit it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Yellow, maybe. Red, definitely. Like I have no idea what happened. <laughs> So scientifically speaking, prior to an anxiety attack, the body does the same thing. It gives us warning signs. So Kate, it's, it's my understanding from our research and, and working with mental health professionals like you and Dr. Ken Yeager, the lead neuroscience uh, researcher at The Ohio State University, that the earlier warning signs could look like heart palpitations or chest pains, feeling like you're going to pass out, trouble breathing, hyperventilating, hot flashes, trembling, um, or just a surge of overwhelming panic. So. Can you explain what an anxiety spiral looks and feels like and what someone should do if they catch themselves experiencing this? So this all starts with, with body awareness. And I mean, this is why meditation and yoga is so prevalent is because it's about the concept of being in tune with your body and what is happening so that you can be more uh, acclimated to, you know, just walking around and being able to, to notice it when it happens. So um, it, it just comes down to experience acknowledging what those little signs are that if you feel something is off, this is why the, the push it away and sweep it under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist doesn't work because that is just going to fester and grow whether you want to pay attention to it or not. Um, so the, the biggest thing will just be the second that you acknowledge that something is off is when you need to sit with that, figure out where it's coming from and target it before it becomes overwhelming. Um, and it's not to say that you can't recover from panic attack or that you can't you can't come out of that spiral. Um, but you know, just, just like any other mountain of work, it is going to feel easier. If you acknowledge I'm getting behind on it, I need to figure this out before it grows. Um, so I think the second that, you know, whether it's you're walking in at step one or step four in your body, you know, if you start to feel those palpitations or if you feel the sweaty hands, um, 
to remove yourself, call the sympathetic, call that sympathetic nervous system, figure out what it is is happening in your body. And then we sit in it long enough to figure out, oh, was it my laundry list of things that I needed to complete? Or, you know, then we go back to the, the list of our needs. Have I seen oxygen and, you know, fresh air in four days? Have I moved my body? What, what am I missing here that my body is trying to tell me something is off, figure it out before, before we shut down. I think something too, we talked about with you and, and a lot of our research is that in, it typically takes 20 minutes for your sympathetic nervous system to tire out. So even in the most heightened state of this panic attack, you're not going to live there forever. You know, your body will exhaust itself. You're going to probably be feeling pretty tired after that, but it's not like that feeling is going to be with you for days, you know, where you're really having a full-fledged panic attack. So just knowing even if you get to that point, it's only going to be 20 minutes, you know, and then things will calm down. Just knowing that there is light at the end of the tunnel, I think sometimes is even just a relief, the placebo effect almost. Yeah. I mean, just to piggyback on that, that I think that, you know, the panic attack can start based on a trigger or an event happening, but then it almost just builds on itself from you fearing the panic attack happening. And so I think if we, if you try to imagine yourself having a bird's eye perspective on yourself in coaching yourself through it to where I've experienced the palpitations and I'll say, okay, here it's coming. It's okay. We're just going to breathe through it. I don't really know where it's coming from. I don't know what's happening, but this is going to pass. We're just going to focus on calming the body. And then after you get to go, what was that? (laughs) And give yourself a minute to say, you know, get experience that shock value. But I think that, you know, if, if we need to listen to meditations to figure out what the coaching voice looks like, but you can become your own navigator through a panic attack. If you choose to remove yourself from it and just almost narrate what is happening versus feeling triggered by the panic attack if that i mean that almost interesting yeah yeah i would have never ever actually put that together like it's self-propagating basically so it's self-replicating and regenerating that's that's amazing i would have never thought of it that way i I agree and i think with mental health in general especially this year it's a lot of grace and not guilt because i think that if we ever feel tired on some days we can beat ourselves up 2020 or or any year, you know, where we're like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? I should have been doing more. And when you're just, your body is whispering to you before it has to scream. And I think that if we just had enough grace to listen to our whispers and say, you know what, I'm kind of feeling tired today. I'm going to lay low. And, you know, I'm going to give 30% that I have to give today instead of always expecting us to be at a hundred and then guilting ourselves if we're ever less than it, it almost is a relief in itself. You know, it almost feels more relaxing because then you can enjoy the days when you say, I'm just vegging out. This is what feels right to me. This is what I need to do for my self-care. You know, Mark is great at it. He's, his, his brain never turns off, never. He's the most intelligent man I've ever met. But when he decides to shut that off, he shuts that off. And he has no apologies. I mean, it's amazing. He plays his video games. He'll read books. He'll write. He'll just sleep. He'll, he'll live his life with no guilt. And I swear that's how he comes back so much more recharged than other people, myself included, who maybe are like, oh, I really just want to like veg out, but I think that I should do X, Y, and Z. So I feel productive. So I feel, you know, and it's that guilt. So you're never even enjoying when right. you are taking that, those few hours to veg. I call them dark days, honestly, <laughs> and, and not in a bad way, but sure. in a way where it's like you're just kind of like sheltering in place I and you though. are 
um, just doing whatever, like I celebrate Nixon, which is the concept of doing nothing. Love and that. so basically I will, like you said, just veg out and have a day where we'll watch movies in Netflix in bed sometimes. And that's all it is. I don't get out of my pajamas because it is a way for my brain to just like, kind of like weed out all of the extraneous things that I don't need to think about anymore. And I think, you know, you talked about guilt. This is this is my way of avoiding burnout. And I think that's something that we're all guilty of is, is feeling like we should not be burned out even when we are burned out. Totally agree. I think it's interesting too. When it comes to, we've been learning a lot with the respite room about mental health, but also about autism and the autistic spectrum. And a lot of people don't realize there is a difference between sensory input and sensory deprivation. And a lot of people, we are overstimulated. So we actually need sensory deprivation, which you see the rise of like the float tanks and, and even yoga could be something like that, but, or just literally like lounging around, just reading a book, not checking your phone and reading a book and having the TV on in the back and having someone running around your house and Alexa popping off every once in a while, you know, really, really sensory deprivation. And whether that's putting in earplugs when you're sleeping, so then you're having no stimuli or whatever that looks like to you. But it is so interesting that you should say that. And, and just another thing for people to consider if they're feeling too overwhelmed, if they're over consuming content and information and too many experiences at one time, maybe deprivation is the answer for them. Maybe just giving themselves a dark day in the Mark Bryan world is what they need. Well, let's talk about this a little bit more. Yeah. Let's talk about burnout, you yes. know, you know, cause burnout can do a lot of things. It can um, make you feel like you don't have any motivation. It can cause insomnia. Um, it causes feelings of emotionally being overwhelmed or amplifying that anxiety and exhaustion and, and being easily triggered. I totally agree. My acupuncturist told me if you don't pick a day to relax, your body will pick it for you. And it's so true. When you know, when you get to that point, you have burnt the candle at both ends and you have nothing left to offer the world. You are just walking around like a zombie in your own body. And that's just no way to live when you let yourself get to that point. But another wise woman once told me, if you have a problem with everyone, you might be the problem. <laughs> so we've all felt it, myself included, in self-reflection when you're coming home and you're like, oh my gosh, I'll tell you what, everyone is just an asshole probably chances are you are the problem, you know? <laughs> so, Kate, I'm curious. We've all felt it, whether we're ready to admit it or not. What are your recommendations for someone if their stress levels are high and their capacity to deal is low? So just, you know, if, you're, if your capacity is low, then we've got, to, we've got to figure out how to increase that capacity. And so that, that comes from that recharging period. Um, so I know that, you know, if, if I'm making breakfast for the kids and something happens, I don't know, something sets me off and I'm, I lose it. Then I'm like, mm, that this is not the kid's problem. This is my problem. You know, which is worse, same way with anybody else in a, in a work environment. But the, the drastic difference that happens when I get a full night's sleep and then my response is different. Then I'm like, wow, I just, I'm, I'm not an asshole. I just needed to sleep. <laughs> Incredible. Um, and so I think that, you know, we've got to figure out what are those elements then that are going to recharge your, your capacity. And so I am a broken record, but if we go back to those needs of what is going to increase your capacity is having that physical movement going to do that is nourishing your body in the correct way going to do that is having those moments for social connection or social disconnection. Do you need to have those moments of recharge? I think that if you have to go through a, um, a trial period of just combing through to figure out what works for you, then once you have figured out, acknowledge what those, you know, two or main, two or three main things are, then that's what you go to target to do it. So I know for me, it is sleep. I know for me, it is 
talking to people. For my husband, it is not talking to people. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes he's done talking to me and I'm like, no, I'm not done. I'm done. I have more things. <laughs> um, and he's like, I've, I've had plenty. You, you, can, you can go now. And so then I'm like, okay, I've got to figure out who it is that I need to connect with then so that he can recharge by not talking to anyone and going, sitting in a dark room by himself, and, you know, whatever you do. Um, so it's going to look different for everybody. So give yourself the opportunity to explore what those different things are. And if, if you know, you know, it's not going to work if you don't feel recharged or if you don't feel like you have an increased capacity. So then you move on to the next thing to see what it might be. I love that. We're going to also put that list that you've noted on a blog post so people can read that and reference that as well. So I know it's a lot when you're listening to try to remember all of these things and I hope you're not driving and writing it down. So <laughs> we'll save you the hassle and we are going to post that up on a blog on the MA website, which is going to be awesome. So, okay, we've talked about burnout. We've talked about triggering. Let's talk about productivity, which is a little bit more positive spin, I think, you know, especially around the holiday seasons where all the hustle and bustle and we're trying to get everything done. Maybe not as much as we don't have to go shopping as much this year. Right. right. But I know that productivity is a passion of mine and I feel best when I'm being productive. And I feel like I add the most value to my clients and lives when I design spaces that promote productivity. Um, winter brings on feelings of lower energy, sometimes and as extreme as sad, which is the seasonal affective disorder. And this year, the intensity of these feelings are expected to be even greater than ever, especially for those who aren't actively working to support their mental health. So Kate, what are some pro tips you can share to stay energetic, positive, and feel productive this winter, especially with less options for stimulation since traveling and traditions aren't possible with COVID? So when you have a moment of energy or feel the, I feel like you have the capacity to think about these things. Let's start there. Like, I, I don't want you to be sitting in a dark hole feeling like you don't have having energy and thinking, okay, now I have to come up with a list of to do's that are going to make me feel accomplished. Cause that's, it's not going to work for you if you're not in the right head space. So we do our coping skills, increase your capacity. Once you have the, once you have that capacity, let's sit, um, you know, for me, it was looking through Pinterest, which sounds so simplistic, but it was a matter of like, what are things that interest me? What are things that make me feel motivated? And when I'm feeling excited about it, I'm going to create a whole list of things that I want to do because in those moments, when I don't feel like I have the energy or it takes too much energy to find a direction as to where to go, I've already done myself the favor of creating that. Um, so, you know, the, the making slime in January, I'm not like super <laughs> looking forward to, but I've already made it an intentional thing. So it, it has created a sense of accountability for me. Um, so in a world where you're stuck in your own home, you don't have anybody to report to face to face. You've got to try to find ways to create that system for yourself. Um, so look at, make, make a list of things that you want to try to accomplish or make, a, and if those things seem too big and overwhelming, let's break it down then. So if you're sitting around on a Saturday feeling like you don't have anything to do, you don't have anywhere to go, then we have something to reference back to of like, oh yeah, I did want to reorganize my pantry. I'm sure everybody wants to do that. I just feel good after, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so whatever that may look like for you, maybe you want to repaint your living room, like create all these different things to, so that you have something to reference when you have that lack of direction. It's funny because it actually reminds me of, um, so my brother and his family live in Chicago and it gets pretty cold there. And I remember there was one winter where it was too cold for the kids to go outside. They had canceled school. And so I actually Google searched YouTube things for 
um, families to do when it was too cold to go outside. And they were taking like water balloons and like milk jugs and filling them with water and like letting them sit outside and just like create shapes. <laughs> and then one of them was taking like the old super soaker because it was so cold outside. You could actually go outside and like spray it and it would create snow because it was so cold. How like cool. it would instantly freeze and turn into snow. That's so creative though. But it just feels like that. Like you talked about Pinterest, which is just the place to go where people want inspiration. Sometimes they fail, sometimes they succeed, but, but it's, it's more about the doing fun. of yeah. it. Right. That's awesome. Also, you saying Chicago just reminded me. Someone once told me when you're in periods of waiting, you should do what a waiter would do and serve. And I was like, wow, that is so profound because it also, when you give back, activates a part in your brain that literally releases endorphins and this feel good. You actually end up getting more from it than you realize. And so I had just read on an Instagram that I love. It's called Upworthy, and it's only positive news. A guy in Chicago, this guy, Jamal Cole, sent out on Facebook this thing saying, you know, I need 10 volunteers to help me shovel for seniors tomorrow. Meet me at this address. I'll buy everyone lunch. And it's just this random guy. He put it out. He ended up getting people from 40 different communities to show up. And they, I mean, obviously still COVID safe, but they all shoveled for seniors. And I just thought, you know, Kate, to your earlier point, like what amazing human beings there are in this world that are sometimes overshadowed by this really sensationalized news and media that we are over-consuming. These are the real heroes of today. You know, there are so many amazing people doing so many amazing things right now, and there are a lot of opportunities to volunteer that are really safe. You know, We Have a Kid Again is a corporate partner of ours, and they just did a contactless delivery of holiday gifts to the families because the kids are super immunocompromised. So you go and you could pick up the presents and drop them off to the families' houses. And for some of these kids, it's the only gift they're getting this year, especially in this economic climate. So how cool to think you could be a part of that. And I know for us, if anyone listening is interested, MA has a lot of opportunities available with our three CSR partners, A Kid Again, Habitat for Humanity, and Dress for Success. But I also know that there are a lot of websites, even like Eventbrite or BESA in Columbus, where you can find those COVID-safe opportunities to give back. I think that we are in this period of waiting. We just talked about liminal spaces on our blog. And for those that don't know, liminality is this concept of the space in between. So a really good example is a woman who's pregnant. It's in that pregnancy. She's not, you know, still without child or she's not with child yet. And right now we're not in a world post-COVID, but we're not pre-COVID. We're in this weird liminal time. So I think in this time of waiting, do what a waiter would do and serve. I love that. Well, you know, and actually, so we keep talking about the three C's, but we've actually just talked about adding a fourth C to our uh, things that we are talking and encouraging our clients to do in order to be help people be prepared, deal with COVID, deal with the pandemic, come back and be successful. So we talk about choice, comfort, and control, but we actually are talking about the fourth one being connection, and that's providing a connection to the community. And your example of the gentleman in Chicago is actually a signal of the future. You know, that. we think about, you know, the things that are different right now. Signals are things that are different. So, Kate, we're, we're coming to the last question of our show. And what I really want to know from you is, you know, what are those signals that you're seeing that you think could have a positive impact on mental health and wellness even 10 years from now? Um, I think that the attention to mental health, I mean, we were already going in a really positive direction from making it more of a prevalent issue and that it is real and, and very, you know, something that we needed to pay attention to. Um, but I think with the way that we're seeing rates jump now, it, it's that cultural shift of, okay, this is something that we need to pay attention to long-term in order to be proactive about 
how do people feel supported or how are we meeting the needs of individuals so that we, that, you know, if any other catastrophe would come up in the future that, that people feel prepared and they feel like they have the resources. Um, so I feel like that just the, the way that our society is starting to view it as actually being a, a pretty serious thing. And it's not that people are just choosing to have bad attitudes or just feel sad that, um, you know, there might be some real depth that we've got to look into what are the resources to, for people to feel, feel supported, like, like how MA is doing with the respite rooms. You know, I hope that so many other organizations take note of that, that you can provide these opportunities within the workplace. Um, and it doesn't have to be COVID related and it doesn't have to be this, this catastrophic event to pay attention to that, that maybe they can put these, put these systems in place, um, long-term. I love that acceptance, acceptance of things that we, uh, might've once thought of as taboo or things that we are now pushing to the front because we want to embrace them. Totally agree. The strongest don't survive the most adaptable do. Well, I think that's amazing, and I hope we can help each other make that happen in the future, and and that's our show. So thank you, Kate, for sharing your innovative insights. And um, as a reminder, Kate and her colleagues at Blue Boat Counseling are a wonderful resource for therapy, including cognitive behavioral therapy and solution-based therapy. Kate, any other resources you'd like to share with our listeners that might not be local or able to afford therapy sessions right now before we close? Yeah, I mean, any any support groups, I mean, it it may seem counterintuitive to, you know, to encourage social media, but whatever support groups that you can find that are more tailored to your age group or your profession, um, I think connecting with anybody, whether that be through chat room or a Facebook page, something where you can feel included in the, in a group that, that is, um, you know, more tailored to you is going to be really important right now. Um, but the, the last thing that I wanted to, to plug here, I know that it may seem intimidating to do virtual therapy for those that haven't face-to-face. Um, and after doing this since March, I can promise you that the same intimacy and connection can be built um, via virtual. Sometimes I'll have to reacclimate my brain to be like, oh yeah, I've never actually met you face-to-face, but I feel like we are that connected. Um, so don't let that that shoo you away. That If you have the thought, I wonder if I should go see a therapist, that's usually the best indicator that it's time to check it out. Yeah. Well, definitely reach out to Kate, reach out to, uh, you know, Blue Boat Counseling if you need any help. Obviously, uh, Sam said that we will have some resources up on our blog, so make sure to check there or just reach out to us. We're happy to help connect you as well. And so again, thank you, Kate, for your innovations. Um, We hope that our listeners find inspiration in their own lives to be thinking ahead to create change that they need. Uh, We hope to hear more about these innovations in the days, weeks, and months to come. If you'd like to learn more about us at MA Architects, visit our website at www.ma-architects.com, where we have a feature called The Future Is Now. If you want to continue the conversation, feel free to email me directly at markb at ma-architects.com. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and review us so you can be the first to hear what is coming in terms of innovations and trends from three to five years ahead. Once again, I'm one of your hosts for Make It Innovative, Mark Bryan. And I'm Sam Moeller. I hope you can find the change you want to be to allow innovation to thrive in the way you live. Thanks, guys, for listening, and I hope you have a happy holiday, whatever that looks like for you this year. Thanks, Kate. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kate.